Hello, this is episode 6 of the Try Mechanics Try Smarter podcast. Firstly, I've got to apologise for the break that it's been since I did the last podcast. Uh, it's been a hectic few months, a few different changes to the business side of things, particularly the uh, the essentially adding of the coaching side of things to the business has caused uh, a lot of my time to be taken away. So I'm sorry that it's taken so long for me to get back into podcasting. As a way of kind of jumping back in, I thought what I'd do for this episode is just outline a couple of tips and kind of tricks as such uh, for each of the three sports, having a think about uh, what elements of uh, you, the kind of sports you should be thinking about in regards to going into winter training. So that's going to be a theme over the next few weeks, particularly doing a kind of coaching tips episode, giving a couple of tips for each sport, something I want you to essentially think about a little bit more, and something that may guide uh, what you do in terms of your training, your training plan, and what kind of ideas in mind in terms of uh, the kind of goals you're trying to get out of this winter training schedule. So we're going to December now, which means that for all of us, we've kind of gone through that lull in November that tends to cause uh, a lot of kind of November blues. We've long since finished the race season, sometimes we're doing a few duathlons and maybe a bit of running. Uh, we haven't completely decided on the plan for next year, most of us. So therefore, our motivation in terms of what we actually want to do uh, wane slightly because we don't know what we're essentially focusing on which I think is really important. So at this time of year it can be a little bit strange. Most of us are in the kind of tick over mode. Some of us have already started really strategic and structured training ready for next year. Sometimes that can be a little bit of a double-edged sword. It's really good to get that kind of training into this time of year when you go indoors when you're doing focused work on the turbo trainer but sometimes because the season is so far off you build up quite heavily over the next few months and by the time it comes to February, March you're essentially closing or coming close to, to burnout and that can be a real problem because obviously if you start the season with that kind of uh, attitude in mind sometimes you can essentially burn out a little bit too early. So on with the tips, I want to keep this episode relatively short and then at the end I'm going to give a, a short summary of the things that I've covered during the episode. So the first thing I want to cover, we're going to give a couple of tips for swimming. So my tips when it goes regards to swimming, just a couple of um, relatively uh, random tips at this time, is the first one is to have a think about your kick. So the reason I'm going to think about or talk about the kick is because uh, what often sets more elite swimmers apart from uh, less proficient swimmers is their ability to combine the kick with their rotation and their stroke and pull. Now often most of us triathletes are uh, competing in wetsuits and in open water races and we're told really that the kick isn't too important. In terms of propulsion, it's not that important at all. I think this has even become less important since the introduction of wetsuits such as Hoob's 3-5 wetsuit which actually you know, gives a far more uh, buoyant region in the legs and the, uh, the kind of pull area, pull away area, sorry. So the area that's um, just in the kind of shorts region. That um, has, has really changed the, uh, the essentially the kind of swimming 
dynamics in terms of what a lot of people think they need then need to do is that it's a lot of people have moved away from the focusing on on becoming a better having better body position and been having more proficient stroke to essentially just putting on the wetsuit and turning over their arms as fast as they can the problem is is that can only give you so much obviously there's always the risk that you're going to be doing a non-wetsuit swim but also Towards the end of any swim, whether it's in particularly if it's in the ocean, if it's choppy water, you need some degree of kick to uh, bring those feet right up to the, the kind of surface level. As you get fatigued, particularly if you're in the ocean and you're, um, or in any, any kind of choppy water and you're lifting your head a bit more, the legs start to sink. However buoyant you make that, those leg portion of the wetsuit, things will start to sink. Now, focusing on the kick at this time of year is absolutely fantastic, but... I feel like people should focus on it in a slightly different way. So rather than, right, we need to increase the quality of the kick in terms of propulsion, what you should be trying to do is increase the quality of the kick in terms of the control, the glute control of the kick, and then the rotation that you can then gain from that. So I like my swimmers, um, kind of triathletes, when they're doing their swim training, to really focus on using the kickboard. The kickboard is actually a really useful tool because it's actually really good for working the glutes and the hip flexors and can be quite useful across over to running as well. But actually doing sets of using the kickboard, getting that um, kicking essentially the action from the glutes from the lower back and that control in place, then once you've done a couple of hundred meters of that, then working into doing a kind of torpedo drill, which is having the arms out in front, uh, stretched out and not just kicking but kicking on your side and then rotating so doing beat kick kick rotate kick kick rotate and that really enhances that the feeling and the movement of the fact that when you kick you then get this reaction to the water and that enables you to rotate that's the kind of thing you need to imprinting it can take weeks months or even sometimes years to fully imprint this but it's worth it in the end that's why it's worth starting it now using this as part of a warm-up just to really start you know, building into four, 500, 600 metres of kicking at the start of a set can be really, really beneficial. It also helps to, to really uh, try and essentially warm everything up, warm up the back and the glutes and get that body position set before we then move into the main sets. So I find it really, really productive. But moving between using a kind of board for kicking, focusing on the action, then going to kicking with your arms out straight essentially under the water and rotating to take a breath. And the final way I like people to do it in the next stage is rotating or sorry, kicking with rotation on one side with the arm outstretched essentially for the, the lower arm in the water. And then when you're swimming along essentially kicking with that arm outstretched, instead of breathing to your left side, so if you had your arm, right arm outstretched and rotating through to the left side, you'd instead take one pull with the right arm and then rotate and breathe to the right. So that's actually timing the breath as it is, as it would be if you were actually doing the full stroke. So doing that for a length, then swimming a normal length back. So always when you're doing these drills, I like to people to combine a length of drill with a length of swimming. So that's my first tip. So really start to work on the kick, incorporating that those few hundred meters of kick. By next year, you'll probably notice that you're not only your body position has improved, but also your ability to control your position in the water. And that comes from the back, the glutes, that core and that kick. The other key thing that's quite important is that once you develop that good kick and that good control, you can then turn it into a small, short flutter kick that keeps the legs aligned in the water. 
Now, that's become really important, or it has always been important. If you look at pool swimmers, like Grant Hackett is a fantastic example. If you watch Grant Hackett during a 1,500-meter uh, race, he utilizes a six-beat kick, a two-beat kick, and a four-beat kick. So a six-beat kick has two rotational kicks on each side and a little flutter kick between. A four-beat kick is essentially a bit of an energy-saving version where you do a, a rotational kick on each side and a little flutter kick on one side. And then a, a two-beat kick is just simply the two rotational kicks. He utilises all of those during a 1,500-metre race, depending on how, how much he needs to push, how much, essentially, effort he needs to put in at certain times and how much control he needs. But that little four-beat kick is quite interesting. That little flutter is there to try and keep his body level. If he doesn't do that little flutter kick, sometimes if you slow the stroke right down, someone like Grant Hackett, Always it was fantastic at maintaining mo uh, essentially that momentum throughout the whole stroke because he had such a long stroke. He was always pulling because he had incredible mobility in right into the back part of the stroke as he essentially pushed down and back. Now, most of us don't have that mobility in our shoulders. It's not through flexibility. Most of it's through just lack of control and strength. The key thing is we tend to pull out the arm early, which means that we have these dead spots in our stroke. We need that little flutter kick to keep us moving through that dead spot and keeping the legs up in right up at the top of the water. Otherwise, if we don't have that little flutter kick, we essentially drop the legs and that creates so much drag that, that can slow us right down. So really focusing on the kick means that you can maintain a small, short flutter kick. So this goes to say when you're doing your uh, kick with a kickboard, you don't need to focus on trying to kick harder. Just try and kick nice and easy with a very short very, very compact little flutter kick with almost like you're doing a small flutter driving from the, the glutes, but only a small movement of the ankle. So a little kind of essentially almost slight small movements, but quite quick and keeping using that to keep essentially you should feel your ankles almost breaking through the surface of the water. That's when you've really focused on the kind of kick that we're after. My second tip for swimming is a little bit of a different one is that often we get into the water and we uh, essentially work a little bit too hard too soon. We don't really fully want well, It's the same as going on the bike. If you ever got on the bike, on the turbo trainer, you can't suddenly jump up to threshold or VO2 max effort. You have to warm up nicely for 10, 20 minutes, maybe in the small chain ring to really start to warm the legs up. Then things start to feel a little bit easier. We often don't do that with swimming. We get straight in the water and we work really hard straight from the off. Same as running. We often run straight out the door, whereas we'd be much better off if we walked. My version of that with swimming is getting in the water Swimming the first few lengths, at least, if not the first few hundred metres, with the hand fully open. So really push the fingers as wide as you can, and you'll feel how the hand slips through the water. If you have the, the hand in a nice relaxed position with the, the, the fingers about five to millimetres apart, it actually can hold more water. But when you really force them open, essentially it slips through. And what it is like, it's like putting it in the, the, the bike in the small chain ring to really force yourself to have to turn over a little bit faster, get things a bit, but take the resistance away. So you're really not trying to use this to try and improve anything. All you're doing is trying to take a little bit of resistance away from the hand so that you can then start moving the shoulders properly, moving the arms properly. Then after a couple of lengths, you can bring your, your fingers back into normal position and start essentially increasing the resistance and the pressure on the water. But that's a quite a nice little neat trick to try and stop you from overloading those shoulders straight away. So those are my kind of couple of tips that I would give for, for swimming at this time of year. The second thing I want to think about is obviously biking. So my tips for biking at this time of year is that the predominant focus should be on aerobic conditioning. 
To my mind, that doesn't need to be going out and doing long, hard biking. I believe this comes mostly from working around sweet spot tempo and working around that region really quite significantly below threshold, but not too far below. This zone is often called the grey zone. I really don't like that term. I really don't think it's applicable. A lot of coaches don't like it. A lot of coaches are essentially subscribing to this the polarised training method. The interesting thing is that when you look at the percentages and the numbers in the polarised training method, it isn't actually going that easy. Some of the uh, studies they've been looking at where they've been polarised have actually been the lower range has been in tempo. So it's not quite as easy as, it, as we've been led to believe. The reason this is so important is that we, we can polarise later, we can do the long riding and the short sharp stuff later when we're a bit more motivated. But the key thing is that this time of year we're spending a lot of time indoors. Indoor training and the turbo training lends itself extremely well to hour to two hour tempo sweet spot work. We can also accomplish a lot when we're not doing that large volume because of the weather. We can accomplish a lot more by doing good amounts of work in that tempo sweet spot region. Now the, the key thing about that is not going too hard. If there is a grey zone at this time of year, it is sitting around that functional threshold or just below it. That is when we're getting up into the realms of working really quite hard, quite stressful, but for not particularly long period of time. If you drop down by 5 to 10% of your functional threshold on power on the bike, which might be 5 to 10 beats if you're looking at heart rate, then you get into this, this region where you can go on for quite a long time. It is mildly stressful. You're not dawdling. But you're also not particularly stressful. It doesn't, you know, if you're training in the evening, it doesn't damage your sleep as much. If you're training in the morning, it doesn't disrupt your circadian rhythm as much as it does to get out and do a really hard session first thing in the morning. So I believe a lot of the bike training should be read for essentially focused around that. My second tip is related to that. The, one of the biggest make, mistakes I see with people training indoors on a turbo trainer, triathletes, is they're riding in aero position. I have a real problem with this because. If you're riding in aero position on a turbo that isn't a Tax Neo, the Tax Neo is an exception to this rule. It is the only one that is an exception to this rule because it's the only turbo trainer that can replicate the inertia or the kinetic energy of the road by using a motor to spin up the flywheel. This is a fantastic bit of technology. I heavily recommend if you have the resources to get a Tax Neo, it is a fantastic piece of kit and it's far and away better than the Wahoo Kicker and the various other the turbos around that price bracket, simply because of this ability to create inertia. Inertia and kinetic energy are really important, particularly when you're a triathlete or a time trialist riding in aero position. When you are sat up on the road bike, your aerodynamic drag is quite high. Therefore, your kinetic energy, i.e. the amount of essentially speed that you've then created with the amount of effort you're putting in, is relatively low. So a lot of turbos can replicate that to a certain degree, particularly the direct drive ones like the Le Mans Revolution and some, to a certain extent the Wahoo Kicker. The key thing is that when you get in aero position in full race kit, you are maintaining much more speed for much less power. What then happens is your pedal stroke changes. When we're sat up and to the extreme example when we're mountain biking, we are pedaling more in a circle because we're applying essentially pressure all the way around the pedal stroke. When we're on a flat road, or essentially, or with either a tailwind, or we're in full race position on the time trial bike with race kit on, we're in a very high inertia and kinetic energy. Therefore, our pedal stroke changes to a much more of a down, heavy downstroke and, and relaxation through that dead spot. We get carried through that dead spot. 
The problem with that is that that is a very different pedaling style to what you get on most turbos because they are low kinetic energy, they are low inertia. Because in order to create that inertia, you need a huge flywheel or the motor that's in the tanks. The problem is, is that if you're riding in aero position, you may think you're doing yourself a great thing, but often people find, particularly people who've got power meters, they'll find that they can put out nowhere near as much power on the uh, turbo in aero position as they can on the road. And that is because they have to pedal in more of a circle. They have to utilize small muscles at the top part of dead, that dead spot, top part of the stroke, to, re, to kind of get that, that pedal through and, the, and essentially that movement through that dead spot. And the issue is, is that you often not improve aerobically because you're not pushing yourself hard enough indoors to push that aerobic system because you're being limited by the biomechanics. So what I recommend people to do is that they spend their winter sat up on the turbo and then when they move out of that, they go out on the road and ride in aero position on their time trial bike as much as they can. That transitions that fitness into the essentially riding on the road and the biomechanics and the change in pedal stroke. Try not to mix the two by working indoors in your aero position if you have a low inertia turbo because you will limit, you'll significantly limit that aerobic development over winter. I'm going to go into this a little bit more detail in another podcast, but for now I'll leave it at there. The final element is obviously giving my couple of tips for running. So this is tends to be my specialist subject. My two tips here are the two elements of uh, the essentially the running intensity spectrum that I like my athletes to stay in at this time of year. If you're planning for a marathon, if you're planning for a triathlon, anything, any distance next year, at the moment, I like my athletes to be working very, very nice, easy, slow, long runs, working on the connective tissue, so not working hard at all. They are going out for nice, easy, spending time on their feet, working on the fascia, the connective tissue, the tendons and the ligaments, increasing resilience in the feet and the lower leg, taking small, short steps, not really pushing things at all, not taking big strides, not really working the muscles hard, working on that connective tissue as much as you can and spending as much time on your feet as you can. So those long, easy trail runs are absolutely perfect for this. And combining that, with short, sharp, neuromuscular efforts, so small amounts of track work, small amounts of work on the treadmill, which I really like as well, that increases that neuromuscular control. Short, sharp efforts of maybe 30 seconds, 45 seconds to a minute at most. So nothing in the range between. So no two-minute, three-minute, four-minute efforts, no VO2 max work, no tempo work. Especially if you're doing triathlon and you're biking, you really don't need it. At this time of year, you're trying to increase your resilience, increase your strength control and conditioning. And I talk in another episode about strength conditioning and weightlifting and various other things that can be fantastic adjuncts to running training, but can actually be essential really at this time of year, building up to particularly long distance racing next year. But at this time, really cut out that that high intensity training that's right in that middle point. You're doing doing short work neuromuscular like strides or short Hill reps is fantastic for imprinting not only good form but getting the muscles firing the right way, leaving that really strong aerobic development for slightly later on and slightly starting that maybe the early part of next year as you start to think about maybe if you're working towards early season March and kind of February, March half marathons, it might be slightly different, but you don't really need to incorporate that too much at the moment. You need to think about how you're controlling the body, working on that movement, working on your strength and conditioning. I'm really polarizing that running. So even though I'm a fan of the tempo work on the bike, 
I'm a real big fan of polarizing when we come to running, particularly in a triathlon schedule. So those are my, my six tips I want to quickly give out so that you can start a little bit, you know, can start to incorporate things into your winter training. I'll try and over the next few weeks give a few more tips out for each sport to try and essentially create what you're going to do in terms of that winter schedule getting you ready for next year. So just to recap, my first two tips were based around swimming. Firstly, working on your kick and why it's so important, getting that rotation, that control at this time of year and starting to build that into your stroke so you build your stroke up from the ground up. Second tip being to open up your hands as you're doing that warm-up first few lengths to really take the resistance off so that you can warm everything up as opposed to instantly kind of stun the shoulders in time to do a lot of work. It can be a really great tool to just relax you, work on essentially building everything up in terms of that, that slow warm-up. Biking, my two tips are working a lot on tempo and, and maximum up to sweet spot work at this time of year. Rather than really thinking about having to go out and do lots of miles, you can get a lot more done doing that tempo work on the turbo trainer, coming to the polarization side of things later on in the year. Second tip was not spending a lot of time in aero position on the turbo because this will impede your aerobic development because of your use of small muscles on a low inertia system. Uh, that's something we'll say we'll discuss in more detail later on because it's really important. Working sat up on the turbo and then out in, outside when you're on in aero position as opposed to indoors on aero position. And finally, working on the running side of things, my two tips were really working around two different intensities. So working at the kind of long, slow, very, very easy intensity where you work on that connective tissue, taking it nice and easy, enjoying the trail running and enjoying the, the, the kind of getting out in the winter and combine that with short, sharp, very fast repetitions of 30 seconds, 45 seconds, fast movements on a treadmill or on a track where you're moving the limbs faster than you would during, say, a 5K. So thank you very much for listening and I'll be with you back with you next week to work a little bit on nutrition and bring in a few more of these tips. Thank you very much. Goodbye.